0: The picture is so much bigger than that.
1: Oh yeah, it's the camaraderie of it all, and it's just being out. Honestly, being out in God's creation and yeah. just seeing—I mean, that's that's probably my favorite part about hunting. Is when you when you sit there and it's dark and you're in the blind waiting for it to be be light out, and you can just hear everything waking up around you. As dumb as it sounds. Yeah,
0: no, my that's what morning hunts it's- are... morning hunts or when you go out to fish in the morning. It's mornings are my favorite just because.
2: Welcome to this week's episode of the Great Lakes Experience. I'm Colin Blaylock.
0: I'm Hunter Jordan. Today's episode is brought to you by Big Al's Custom Baits. From standard bluegill flies to big custom streamers that you need. Hit Big Al up on Facebook and we'll get you taken care of. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 9. We're here with Molly Van Franken. And, Molly... Introduce yourself a little and tell us how you got into the outdoors.
1: Hey guys, um, I'm Molly. Um, I got into the outdoors probably, I'm trying to think of the exact age, 20 years old. Um, Nobody in my family really hunts. Nobody ever hunted in my family. Um, I kind of actually got into it through friends of friends. Um, Believe it or not, before hunting, I was a complete anti-hunter. Super, super. Really? Yeah, super (laughs) against it. Well, in my mind, I was like, how could you just go out there and kill Bambi? Yeah. What the hell? (laughs) And so, I had a friend um, in a college class that said, hey, you want to go bow fishing? And I was like, well, that's, like, probably the most redneck shit I've ever heard of in my (laughs) life. But sure. And so, I went out, because I thought, you know, fish, kind of, they're not cute or anything, so (laughs) you wouldn't really feel as bad killing them. Um, And I fell in love instantly. I was like, this is super cool. Um honestly the adrenaline rush from even just shooting a fish I was like oh wow I wonder what it would feel like shooting a deer or shooting a duck or anything like that so
0: so you did a complete 180 flip oh yeah just from one trip
1: yep yep and it was definitely uh I think that what got me hooked was my first deer hunt that I went on cuz mm-hmm. the same same person he was like how would you come out and film a a deer hunt for me and I was like okay so I went out and I remember holding the camera and watching the deer come in, as soon as the deer starts coming in, my hands are just... Like, I got freaking Parkinson's or something. I could not hold the camera still at all. and My heart was racing, and I remember him pulling back, shooting the deer. The deer dropped 30 yards from where he shot it, and the whole time, the adrenaline rush was just through the roof. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And you weren't even the one hunting.
1: No, I wasn't. I was like, oh, my <laughs> gosh. It was like, that was too exciting for me even just watching. And then we we actually dressed it up that night, and we had... Um, we had
0: the loins that night for dinner. That's my favorite part about yes. hunting is backstraps for dinner than any issue shoot one. Uh, and yeah. heart. You gotta have the heart. Yeah. I've never really, I've never really had too many, heart too many times. We but I've, I've had it, one of the boat salesmen out back at the store brought it in one time and it was really good. So I think next time I get one, if I ever get one again, because I've had to dry past few years.
2: <laughs> It'll happen.
0: But I think I'm going to try that. Um. So Molly, what do you what do you do now? Like, job-wise? Yeah, job-wise.
1: Yeah. So I'm actually head of sales at the Scoop Dog Food. Okay. Um, it's a smaller business. We are out of Battle Creek, Michigan, um, and it's kind of a family business of mine. My dad actually created the company, so I do that full time.
0: Okay, and then you do a bit of dog training too, as well, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah. I do that as a part time gig.
0: So how did you? get into doing the dog training was that before you started hunting or after or
1: after actually um I remember my first couple experiences hunting over a dog were awful oh no uh the first dog I ran away
0: oh man and
1: they couldn't find it never um I think he ended up finding it like a week later but uh, they just let the dog out of (laughs) they let the dog out of the truck and it ran around and then just took off and so that that was my first experience. I was like, okay, that was awful. And then the other experience, the dog broke early, and um, unfortunately it, it did get pelleted a little bit by someone shooting. Um, wow. And I was like, oh, well, that's traumatizing. So I I honestly had a really negative connotation with hunting with dogs just because of the experiences that I had. And so my first dog that I was ever going to get, I really wanted a wiener dog because I thought it could be a good tracking dog for deer. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's what I've heard, actually. The dachshunds are like the top dog for like deer tracking.
1: Oh yeah. They're wild. Somebody that I knew shot a deer and he called some deer tracking service and the dude shows up, opens the back of his truck and like five wiener dogs run out. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. I was like, this is ridiculous.
0: (laughs) Yeah. My cousin shot one one time and they couldn't find it. So he called this guy and this dude shows up and he's got a little dachshund in his arm. And my cousin's like, so where's where's the dog? And he's he's right here. Oh, yeah. And he just dropped him on the ground, and he just took off like a bat out of hell. And oh, And they found yeah. it like an hour later.
1: <laughs> oh, they're wild dogs, man. And so I was, I was really leaning towards the wiener dog, and I was kind of like, oh, I, maybe I want a lab. But I had all these really bad experiences with labs before, so I was kind of like, oh, they're hard to train. They're not as good as other dogs, when in reality, it's all about the training that goes into it. Mm -hmm. So I remember I actually um, found out that five minutes down the road from my house, there's a kennel called Southern Oak. It's actually Southern Oak Kennels North.
0: Okay.
1: And uh, I think I called up, um, I called Don first, I think, and I I asked him, I was like, hey, uh, do you mind if I come out and like watch some of your dogs sometime? He was like, sure, come on out anytime. And so I went out there and they had, I think it was like, six or seven dogs on place boards, no collars, no leashes, no e-collars. And I was like, oh, my goodness, they're so well-trained. And then they started doing the Versa Launchers, and they were calling the dog by name, and each dog was individually jumping off by their name and going and getting the bumper. And I was like, this is freaking wild. And so I was like, well, I don't think I could ever train a dog to that level. And, like, the, the guy training was like, oh, for sure you can. Like, this is pretty easy. It just takes consistency and time. And yeah. so I ended up getting a dog – from Southern Oak, and training it, and that is my first hunting dog.
2: Okay. And what kind of dog
1: was it? Black Lab. Yep.
2: And that's Sage, right? Yep. Okay. That's such a good name for a dog.
1: Oh, yeah.
2: So, knowing what you know now, and starting off with such... we I mean, that's a pretty horrible story. Yeah. With one getting pelted. Do you think that negative experience made you want to pursue more, and changing how you look at hunting with
1: dogs? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just because... Like I said, I've never had a good experience until I started meeting the right people that took a lot of time training their dogs. They took a lot of energy. They took a lot of consistency. And honestly, that summer that I got Sage, I think I went over to Southern Oak Kennels North about three to four times a, a week and just watched them train dogs and like took little things from what they were doing and tried to incorporate it into my own training and uh took a lot of time with Sage. I messed up a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like your first dog, that's kind of like your mess-up dog, that you're supposed <laughs> to, like, screw up everything, and you're like, okay, well, this is how I messed up my first dog, and this is what I'm going to do better on my second dog. Yeah. So, you know, I've, I've trained um, a couple hunting dogs, and I've helped a couple other people with their dogs, and it definitely was a passion of mine because it does make the hunt so much more enjoyable when you hunt over a good dog.
2: Yeah. Oh, 100%. Do you think that summer you spent... At SOK, really watching, like, Donnie, Wally, and all them that train there. Is there one thing that really stood out to you that you took away every day?
1: Oh, yeah. Um Wally actually told me this. He said, uh, you know, you kind of have to train a dog based on their personality. And I was like, what does that mean? I kind of thought it was like a cookie cutter. This is how you train every single hunting dog. He's like, no. Every single dog you're going to train just a little bit differently based on their personality. Is it a soft dog? Is it like a a tough dog? Is it a stubborn dog? Is it a dog that takes corrections easily? Or is it a dog that you have to use a little bit more force? So my dog Sage was very timid. So, I mean, if you just even raise a finger to her and look at her with like a serious face, she's like, oh, no, what did I do wrong? <laughs> Whereas other dogs, I mean, you could, I'm, I'm sure you know dogs like this, you could literally beat them. And they're like, "Thank you for the attention." <laughs> that feels so great when you pet me like that. Yeah, because I've trained—I've trained both now. I've trained a dog that's super, like, tough and hard-headed. That literally they think that any correction that you're making is like no big deal. And then Sage, where she will literally give up in the middle of training if you don't take a soft enough approach.
2: Okay, knowing that, do you think would you pick one over the other? Um, obviously you get en- enjoyment out of both. Yeah, but if you were to go pick up a dog and train it, knowing that it was going to be timid or a little bit more hard-headed, which one would you choose?
1: I would definitely choose something smack dab in the middle. Okay. Something that, because I've seen dogs that are worse than Sage, that don't take well to any corrections, and that they, they constantly just shy away from any pressure, and I wouldn't want that, but I like a dog that can take easy commands, can take easy pressure, but if you push them to a certain point, they quit. Just because you, there's a limit. You know what I mean? It's not just a constant battle of when is this dog going to quit. So something probably smack dab in the middle. Just because I've trained Sage, who's like soft, on the softer side. And then I've trained my Boykin, which is a <laughs> complete asshole. <laughs> you, you could like literally throw a brick in his head and he'd be like, Thank you so much. <laughs> you were so great to me. And like he just does not care how you correct him. He's just yeah so stubborn.
0: So... Training Sage and then your, what's your boy's name?
1: Oh, uh, Bosco.
0: So, do you, have you found it harder to train, like, whether this male or female, or?
1: You know, it? I think it's funny, I, I get asked this quite a bit in my experience, and maybe other people have different experiences. I always say to people when they say, I want to get a dog, I want to get a dog, do you think I should get a male or female? I'm like, well, it depends. Do you want a dog that's dumb and happy or smart and bitchy? Yeah. Because the males are almost always dumb and happy. <laughs> They're just happy to be alive, tail wagging the whole time. And then females are much smarter in sense of, how do I say this? Looking, uh, taking direction individually by themselves. Mm -hmm. So for example, if I send my female on a line out to get a bird and I whistle sit her and I give her a hard right, if she smells something to the left, she's going to completely ignore my command and go to the left. Because she thinks that she knows best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's like, I smell something over here. And I'm like, well, that's not the bird that I'm trying to get you to get. go hard right. And she'll say, nope, not going to listen. So she's smart and bitchy. Because then she comes back and I correct her on it. And then she'll be mad at me for the rest of the day. <laughs>
0: yeah. That's like my dog Olive is just like that. She's got an attitude. In my mom's lab, she's just like that too. And then my brother's black lab, his name's Bo. He's the happiest little dog I've ever seen in my yeah. entire life. He, yeah. When I walk in the door when I go home, he his tail's just wagging, and he brings me the first thing that he sees on the floor. He just picks it up and Aww. says, I brought you this present. I'm so happy to see you.
1: Dumb and happy.
0: <laughs> yep. Um. So when you, you think it's – what do you do when you get frustrated, like training a dog like that? It's like hard, like doesn't want to listen to you when you – So,
1: the one thing that I learned in training dogs is you can never put emotion into it. The only emotion you can ever put into training dogs is, like, the happy, excited... Like, if a dog does something good, you really have to... Every single time a dog accomplishes something, you have to act like it's the best thing ever. Good girl, good boy, blah, blah, blah. Hype them up. Because dogs feed off of that positive reinforcement but as soon as I find myself like getting frustrated in training or putting any sort of like negative emotion into it like when I correct a dog it shouldn't be out of anger it should just be out of no you shouldn't have done that yeah like there should be no negative emotions when you're training dogs so when I start to find myself to get a little frustrated I normally take a step back and I'm like okay obviously this is something that we're going to need to work on, so let's take a step back, work on something that I know that you're good at, and end on a positive note, and then we can return to this problem the next day.
2: Okay. That's exactly what I would do. So George is the first dog I've ever trained. Mm -hmm. i to finish by myself. And I'll listen to a lot of podcasts, and then obviously knowing Cody and a little bit of Donnie and Wally, I'd always ask him questions. And everything I always heard was, If you're going a little too fast, take a step back and really focus on the thing the dogs know how to do and don't let your emotions get in. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the times I'd find myself getting kind of upset where really it was my fault instead of the dog's fault. So I'd step back, do something the dog knows how to do, and then end it on a positive note for that day instead of ending it on you being mad at your dog or yeah. Being a complete asshole to your dog. Yeah. Oh
1: yeah. And you don't ever wanna, you don't ever wanna put the negative emotions into it because dogs remember stuff. So the, they'll remember the last time we were out training, I was getting yelled at or getting a lot of corrections or whatever. And then it's gonna all of a sudden create a negative connotation with like retrieving, or just working for you in general or anything.
2: Yeah, I know. Saturday, it was Georgia's first live bird retrieve, on her first hunt and. That experience of watching your dog from I got her at seven weeks and Aww. seeing her now I mean I felt like a fucking father. I was right. like I wanted to cry. <laughs> but just seeing that is something I take out of dog training and having a dog, it's the best part about hunting to
1: me. Oh yeah. Yeah. I agree. It's nice to see those little victories until the very end result where it like all comes together and it clicks.
2: Oh, yeah. That's
1: why I like puppy training, and that's why I take on a lot of puppies to train at a time, just because I really like that gradual. Oh, we just hit this landmark today, and then we hit this, and then we hit this, and now we're checking things off on the boxes. Oh, we need to work on this a little bit more. And it gives you like things to progress. And with my dog Sage, now we're at the point where she's almost like a little robot. I mean, there's things we could still work on, but she's to the point where she's had a couple thousand retrieves in her lifetime and she's only three, she's pretty much, I could give her to anybody, and anybody could run her, and she's going to do a bang-up job, no matter who she's with. So at that point, it kind of gets boring to me, because I was like, I know exactly what I'm going to get whenever I get her out of the kennel. Yeah. She's going to perform at this level pretty consistently. I like the working and getting better and progression. Yeah.
2: So kind of stepping back towards more, not more, but the puppy phase. I know some kennels kind of place you with a puppy, but for listeners that maybe have to pick out a puppy, out of a litter, is there any recommendations or tips or tricks that you have for them? Um,
1: My biggest, I guess I should call it a pet peeve more than anything. My biggest pet peeve is um, finding a dog based on looks rather than personality. Mm -hmm. So I know a lot of people, after I've gotten my Boykin Spaniel, that are like, well, I want to get a Boykin. I'm like, do you run 10 miles a day? (laughs) And they're like, no, I'm like, you need to start (laughs) because these dogs do not ever chill. My Boykin, if I do not take him out and get him exercise at least once a day, will just destroy my house. (laughs) And I feel like people a lot of times choose a higher energy breed when it doesn't really fit their lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So I guess like that's my first thing is figure out what type of lifestyle you live, figure out which dog will fit that lifestyle the best. Mm-hmm. I know, I know people that say like, Oh, I upland bird hunt. I want a Vizsla. And I'm like, how often do you upland bird hunt? Yeah. And like, Oh, like twice a year. I'm like not the dog for you.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what, so when we were looking for dogs and stuff, like I was kind of stuck on like, I wanted an Irish setter or some sort of like setter because I love the way they look. But then I was like, did more research and I was like, that's not going to work in an apartment. Right. So so then I was like, well, I know labs are good. And we were at, we got her at a a show that I was at in Emily City, Michigan. There's always like the the puppy tent. So Mm -hmm. uh, there was just a a litter of yellow labs and I was just looking at all of them and she was just conked, just asleep and kind of backfired on me a little bit because she's a crackhead sometimes now. But she was... I would just come back and, like, check to make sure she was still there to see if it was meant to be or not. And sometimes she would either be asleep or she would just be, like, looking at the people.
2: Aww. Never,
0: like, playing with her siblings or anything like that. She would either be, like, eyes up here or just asleep. And I said, you're the one. You're going to come home with me this weekend. <laughs> and she's been a great dog so far. I've got no complaints about her.
1: That's awesome. Do you have
0: so, her? Um, Not yet. I'd like to. I've been nice. doing, trying to do some retrieving training and stuff like that. Nice.
2: But. If you were to pick one breed, Molly, to have for the rest of your life.
0: Labs. 100% labs.
2: I kind of knew that, but <laughs> I'm right there with you. I'm biased. I've always had labs, and I've had the pleasure of hunting over a lot of dogs. Mm-hmm. From short hairs, wire hairs, cocker spaniels, setters, and even a boykin. And They're all great hunting dogs. Mm-hmm. But nothing beats the all around house and hunting dog of a lab. Yes, Yes. that
1: off switch is what I like. Is how that's what, and when Sage was at an outfitter for a while, I think that's the biggest compliment that I got from so many people. It's like you take her out in the field and she's a crackhead. She's like, gotta go get the bird, super energetic dog. And then you take her inside and she conks out. And everyone's like, oh my God, your dog is so calm when you take her inside. I'm like, yeah, that's how I want her to be. I don't (laughs) want her on level 10 all the time. Yeah,
0: exactly. And that's what's nice. We'll go for walks around here and she'll be, she'll pretty much run the whole time. Oh, yeah. And then we'll come back inside and she'll have a few minutes where she's just like still has some energy. So she'll take a few laps around the apartment, squeaking her toy, and then she lays down on the couch. And there you go. <laughs> time for a nap. Um, so let's talk a little bit about so your, your dad owns the, the scoop dog food. So yeah. how did you guys like get started in that?
1: Okay, so this is an interesting story. So my dad is a practicing veterinarian. He's been practicing for 47 years. Long time. Um, He never intended on creating a dog food. It kind of all just happened on accident, is the best way to put it. So we had a dog, um, I think this was eight years ago, named Cookie. She was a shelter rescue. And she passed away at age six from a disease called copper storage disease. which my dad uh, treated her and thought that it was liver cancer. Unfortunately, she didn't respond to the treatment. She died a couple months later, um, which was really sad for our family because she was our family dog. And when she passed away, my dad was really upset as to why she died. He was like, I don't want to believe that she just died because of misdiagnosis, but, I mean, I'm willing to do the research and figure it out. So, basically, they did an autopsy on her when she died, and they pulled out her liver. Her liver was horrendous. Just so scarred and nasty compared to what a normal liver should look like. Mm -hmm. So, what we did was we took part of the liver, and we sent it up to Michigan State University, and we had the liver biopsied. And it came back with, I think it was 2,500 parts per million of copper in her liver, which is super high. Yeah. And so he was like, okay, where is all this copper coming from? So this became like our discovery phase. And so we went home and we flipped over the bag of dog food that we were feeding, copper sulfate and copper protonate in the ingredients. Huh. And my dad's like, well, I know what copper sulfate and copper protonate are. They're um, the same chemicals that they use to kill pond algae. They use them for foot baths and cattle for, to prevent foot rot. They use them to clean septic tanks
0: it's in your dog food.
1: Yeah, and it's in your dog food. So, actually, funny enough, it's in, um, I have horses, and whenever my horses go out and get a cut in the field, there's this stuff that you put on called caustic wound powder, and it's basically, it dissolves off the proud flesh so that the scar heals without a lot of proud flesh sticking out, dissolving away flesh, and I flip it over, and it has copper sulfate in it. Top ingredient.
2: Oh my gosh.
1: Same stuff that they put into your dog food.
2: Has is there, is there ever been research on why they put in the dog food and the reasoning behind that?
1: So, that's what my dad started looking up. So, actually, back in the 80s, they started putting it in um, swine food. So, they could get the pigs to market in six months rather than a year because it's a growth promotant.
0: Okay. So, it's... Really, they put it in there to help the dogs grow faster, but...
1: So, they started putting it in the agricultural animal feeds, and it's great for agricultural animal feeds, but not so great for your dog who's not going to market in a year, right? Yeah. So, basically, I don't know why they made it an across-the-board thing. It was kind of an AFCO decision. So, they, I guess they kind of decided, well, if I guess if it's good for pigs, it's good for dogs. But there's not really been any long-term research to prove any damage because it's like a pretty new disease yeah so basically my dad reached out to all these dog food companies and he said hey you need to take this harmful ingredient out of your food because it's killing dogs and they were like "Mm, no we're not going to do that so
0: that's terrifying
1: yeah so he has this saying and he tells me this he's like molly if i teach you one thing in the world it's got to be this this one statement there's one thing that you die with in your life, and it's not fame, it's not money, it's your integrity. And if you don't do something to make sure that you have integrity in your lifetime, you die with nothing. Yeah. So he said, I like I,
0: that.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. so he said, I won't be dying with integrity unless I do something about this, because my dog died from it, and I guarantee thousands of others' dogs are dying from it. Yeah. So we created the scoop.
2: There you go. Yeah. So, if you don't mind me asking, what are... Your main ingredients, obviously, you're not putting the copper sulfite and everything. Yeah. Um, so we,
1: we meet the copper requirement through um, other ways. Okay. So we test every single individual ingredient in the dog food, and we measure it in natural copper. So, like, I could go outside right now and pick a, a leaf off of one of the trees, and there will be a certain amount of copper in that leaf naturally. So what we do is we test every single individual ingredient, and we meet the AFCO level, of, uh, I think ours has 7.4 parts per million of copper. Um, we tested a bunch of different dog foods to see the copper levels, and they ranged from I think it was the lowest was nine parts per million, and the highest was like 43 parts per million.
0: Hmm. But the standard requirement is seven something you said? So the
1: lowest, the, the minimum is seven parts per million. Okay. There is no cap.
0: What? Yeah. Why?
1: That There is no cap, there is no maximum amount.
2: That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I mean, that's really fucked, especially... I mean, there's obviously research that shows that it is harmful.
0: Yeah, okay, so my, my next question yeah. would be, I guess, is, like, since your dad discovered all this, like, has there been more research? Like, like once he, like, took this to MSU, where like, they, like, well, let's do more research on this, or did it kind of just stop with your dad?
1: So, it's actually kind of a... It's becoming a more known thing in the veterinary industry. So the thing that is so detrimental about this disease is that the only way you can actually guarantee that a dog has copper storage disease is by biopsying the liver.
0: So it has to die?
1: No. So you have to, you can, you can biopsy the liver when the dog's alive. But if you brought your dog in for a biopsy because you thought that they had copper storage disease and I said, okay, that's going to be a thousand dollars. What would you say? No, thanks. (laughs) So the average biopsy is about a thousand dollars. Yeah. Which a lot of people are not willing to pay for. Yeah. So the only real guaranteed way to tell that your dog's not going to get it is by feeding a low natural copper food.
0: Okay, which is Scoop. Yeah. The Scoop. Now, where is the Scoop available?
1: So it's available online. We have um our website uh, www. safedogfood. com, and we actually direct to consumer deliver it to your door with free shipping. Oh.
0: I like. And it's we have a subscription
1: program, yeah. Okay,
0: there you go.
1: So the copper is not the only thing that's uh, really great about this food.
0: Okay.
1: So not only does it have natural copper, but we also took out the top three ingredients that cause skin and ear infections in dogs. I like it. So dogs are very much allergic to beef, milk, or wheat.
2: Yeah.
1: Sometimes you'll get some outliers and a dog will be allergic to, I, I've heard on the phone from our clients, Um, one dog was allergic to carrots, one dog was mm-hmm. allergic to chicken, Chicken is pretty common.
0: Yeah, um, I've heard chicken.
1: Chicken can be up there, but it's not as high as beef, milk, or wheat.
0: Okay.
1: Um, we've had a couple of dogs that have been allergic to barley, but beef, milk, wheat, top ones. We call it BMW. You want to keep your dogs away from BMW. <laughs> this is our analogy. And you want to feed them the ABCs, so this goes for your treats. Apples, bananas, and carrots.
0: Apples, bananas, and carrots. Because Bananas, really?
1: Yeah. Huh. Because a lot of the skin and ear infections come from the treats that you feed them. Oh. Milk bone, ear infection in a jar.
0: Oh, no. <laughs> that's not going to get rid of the milk bones now. Does <laughs> your
1: dog get ear infections or skin infections?
0: Um, yeah, she actually just got over. We ate, bought some drops for her ears for bugging her. She was itching okay. all the time. So I'm going to give you the
1: the advice that's going to clear all this up. No more. No more milk. No more beef, milk, or wheat. Got it. And then what are you going to feed your ABCs?
0: Apples, bananas, and carrots.
1: Hell yeah.
0: It was like a
2: kindergarten class, but this is really useful information that's, with the apples, I, that's so bananas, insane. and carrots. I didn't know that. So actually, the first lab that I ever helped picked out my family, um, sadly, she started having seizures at too. Aww. And we took her to the vet, and he actually said, I don't remember exactly because I was really young at the time. But it was something with the wheat causing her to have the seizures, so we went switched to a dog food that had no wheat added. Is there other health effects besides the skin infections, ear infections, stuff like that, that wheat and other you byproducts know, can cause?
1: I don't know. That's a good question, honestly. I just know that mostly it's the skin and ear infections, <laughs> but I would have to look into that.
2: Okay.
1: Um, have you guys ever heard about dilated cardiomyopathy in dogs?
2: Nope, that's no. a big word. Yeah, that's a big, I don't know if I could repeat that word.
1: <laughs> dilated cardiomyopathy.
2: Okay. Sounds like dilated gets smaller. Yeah. Cardio. Heart.
0: Oh, it's... Myopathy. Bah. So, <laughs> the heart shrinks? Um, Not the
1: heart. So it would probably be
0: like the vessels. You're kind
1: of on it. So, dilated cardiomyopathy is actually a disease where the heart is overworked in the dog. And they've actually seen a lot of direct correlations between DCM and um, grain-free diets. So the grain is such an essential nutrient to the dog because grain obviously helps with a lot of heart functions. So basically what happens with DCM, it happens a lot to golden retrievers. Golden retrievers are the number one predisposed to this disease. But basically the heart is working so hard that it's expanding and it's closing up the valves. And so eventually it causes heart failure. No way. Mm-hmm.
2: That is not how much goes into your dog food. Because a lot of people just go to the store and say, "Oh, hey, if that's on sale or that looks like a good dog food, yeah, like let's buy that." Yeah, and there's a lot so much of it's, more that goes into it. A
1: lot of it's marketing ploys, and that's what gets me with the dog food industry. Is because like they'll put some shit on a bag that says like, "Oh, it's got blueberries." It realistically has one blueberry in that entire bag. Yeah, it's just something that makes me think, oh my god, blueberries so healthy! I'm gonna pick this dog food because it has blueberries. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. So like, if you, if you, I mean, obviously you probably use your guys's dog food, but like, if you were at the store, like, what would be like the first ingredients that you want to see on the list of a bag of dog food?
1: So this is the tricky part. There is different. So okay, first of all, I would say. You don't want to see more than one or two proteins. Okay. Sometimes you flip over a bag and it says like chicken, fish, um, pork, and there's multiple different proteins in that. You do not want that. That would cause a lot of upset stomachs in a dog, in dogs, just because it's kind of like if we go out to a Chinese buffet right now, how are you going to feel when you leave that restaurant? Not
2: good. I'm rolling out
1: of there. <laughs> <laughs> but you know how, you, like, after you eat at a Chinese buffet, there's so many different things that you're yeah. digesting in your stomach that it just makes you feel like absolute crap.
0: Yeah.
1: So, same with the dog. It, it It's hard to break down all those different proteins individually. So, which causes a lot of upset stomach issues, a lot of soft stools. But yeah.
0: <laughs> she wants oh. to come inside.
1: <laughs> but yeah, so there's that. A lot of, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of what else you'd look for in a dog food. So the other thing is research the type of protein. So if you flip over our bag, it actually says chicken byproduct meal. And a lot of people have negative connotations with chicken byproduct meal because they think like, oh, it's the it's the beak, it's the wings, it's the feet. No, it's none of those things. We actually use organ meat in our dog food.
0: Oh, like liver and stuff yeah. like that?
1: Yeah, because it's the highest in nutrition. Highest in palatability for the dogs, so the dogs love eating it. And it's got the highest uh, vitamins and nutritional level.
2: So correct me if I'm wrong. Chicken byproduct, is a, that's the actual ingredient name, correct?
1: Chicken byproduct meal.
2: Because, byproduct meal. Yes. That's the only USDA-proven
1: so you can, right? So it breaks it down. There's chicken, and then there's chicken byproduct, and then there's chicken byproduct meal. So a lot of people go and they look for the chicken right off yeah. the bat. So the thing about chicken is, A... When you render it into uh, the processing plant or whatever, it gets a lot of water added. So the chicken that you think that you're getting, it's not as high in protein and as high in palatability. I know a lot of dogs that are on straight, um, like the first ingredient is chicken in their dog food. Dogs don't eat it as fast because it's, I mean, if I sat here and cooked a chicken breast for you and fed it to you with no seasoning or anything (laughs) like that, it's kind of gross, right?
0: Yeah. So that's the same thing then. So the okay.
1: So yeah. So it it unfortunately the way that it is, we can't put organ meat on the bag. Yeah. We have to label it as chicken byproduct meal.
0: Yeah, because you always hear in the TV commercials, it's like the first ingredient I saw was chicken byproduct meal, and that's
1: bad. Yeah, because yeah, a lot of people think it's like tendons and stuff like that. It's not.
2: Interesting. But I, I mean, I can't really talk because I haven't really done much research until recently, like getting a puppy. And, obviously, talking to you and my brother's girlfriends, I bet, going to school for better parent. but I feel like as dog owners, more people should do research and know what they're feeding their dogs.
1: Right. Like, that's
2: becoming such a pet peeve to me. Like, if you're going to, I mean, it's just like having a kid, you're not going to feed them something you wouldn't eat. Right. So, why not take the time and know what you're feeding your dog?
1: Right. And that's the hard part, is it's, it's, it's understanding, because it's taken me years to get the amount of knowledge that I have right now. Like, when I first got into this job, <clears throat> I remember reading on the back of another dog food label, it said, uh, deboned chicken. What do you guys think of when I say deboned chicken?
2: I think it was skinless, bone, boneless chicken thigh.
1: So here's what I thought. I thought of, like, a little granny sitting there, like, deboning a chicken, right? Yeah. And then you get this one pile of, like, the meat... That was deboned, and then you get the other pile of all the crap left behind.
0: They probably throw it all in a grinder, don't they?
1: They throw all the crap left behind into a processing rendering plant, and it basically they turn it into white slime.
2: Oh, dude.
1: And that is the same stuff that they actually use to make chicken nuggets from McDonald's.
2: That's why you don't eat McDonald's, folks.
1: <laughs> you, you can look it up. White slime from uh Deboned chicken.
2: Also, doesn't that dilute the protein content and like the calories? There hardly is any, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's
1: wild. Which I mean, just the, the education and the, the knowledge of how they try to like twist things around and make it sound a certain way, mm-hmm. it's it's a lot of misinformation, which I've found out
0: very informative episode. Here. Oh, very. I've learned so much. The other, so,
1: the other thing that I wanted to mention is a, who owns the dog food companies. So, did you know that Mars Candy Company owns the most dog food companies? What? Really? Yeah.
0: Like chocolate like Mars bars. Like,
1: yeah.
0: Like what dog food companies do they own?
1: I'll let you look it up. It's Oh, no. You they Mars Candy Company has Purina?
0: Oh, uh, no. No, I don't You're think
1: Purina is a... owned by... I know Yucanova is owned
0: by them, but... Ooh. I use Purina. right now, We can look it up. Purina is by... But
2: now I'm probably going to have to switch.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. I
2: make the switch with me. Um, What dog food do you use? Right now I'm using 4Health because that's what we switched to my older lab. Wow. Sorry for the interruption. That is a... No uh
0: Yeah.
2: Chum. So... That is wild. I'm mad. But going back to the 4 health, I already don't like.
1: But you got to say it. All right, it's Nestle.
2: (laughs) Nestle
0: owns Purina dog food. I don't like Nestle. You want to know why I don't like Nestle? Because they're stealing water from Michigan.
2: (laughs) Stealing water, you can get water, iced tea, and, wait, is that a different Nestle? No, I'm pretty sure. So you can get iced tea, dog food, and water all at the same time. That's
1: right.
2: Or you can get with somebody that makes dog food and dog food only. (laughs) I'm flabbergasted.
1: Oh, yeah. I didn't know any of this until a couple of years ago just doing research and yeah and figuring out what is true, what is false.
2: That is disappointing because yeah. that just shows how many companies really yeah. don't care about your dogs. How Yeah, them. all the
0: com- yeah, you see all like the commercials and stuff on TV that are like we care for your dog. Nice. No, the, you don't. The, the one anymore. that gets me
1: is the wolf one running through. Oh I know. Where they're like, your dog is like a wolf and oh my god, if I put <laughs> my boykin out in the woods, he would last two point five seconds by himself. <laughs> yeah.
0: What is that
2: one? Blue buffalo or something? I don't the first know.
0: ingredient in our product is chicken.
2: <laughs> now I know they're full of shit. But since we kind of talking about the positive and negative of what goes into dog food and stuff, um, Assuming that you work with a lot of outdoor kennels and companies like oh, that, yeah. what is your favorite part about that? Is the meeting the people, seeing dogs?
1: Honestly, um, so we have, we do have kennels that order through us. I think that the most rewarding part is when they switch their client dogs over and I get calls from the owners. So I get lots of calls from owners that, oh, I brought my dog home from so-and-so kennel. And he or she looks so good on this food. I actually had a call the other day. Um, someone was telling me, they were like, oh, I've been feeding X, Y, and Z food. And my dog started losing all of its hair. I'm like, what are you talking about? And I, I was like, well, maybe that's not related to the dog food. I mean, maybe that's something else. He was like, no, it's definitely the dog food. And he sent me a picture of it. And he goes, this is what she was like before she was on your food. And I'm talking like patches of hair missing from this dog. And then he sent me a picture of what she looks like now. I was like, oh, thank God. Like, everything got back to normal because that dog was looking homely for a second. <laughs> and he was like, oh, yeah, this, like, my dog was all sorts of messed up for a while until she got on your food. And that's, that's sweet. And now it's awesome. So, and just the amount of, um, I think that's the most rewarding part is the, the amount of people that do know about copper storage disease. And they call me and they say, oh, my God, we thought we were going to lose our dog until we put her on your food. And now her liver enzymes are back down to normal. And that's just the most rewarding part to me. Because I know how much my dog is my child. And if anything ever happened to her, I would die. Yeah. So I actually have a story of how, I think you asked earlier, does anybody else know about the copper storage disease thing? So I was actually reached out um, to by Michigan State University, who said that they were doing a study on labs, um, older labs versus younger labs with copper accumulation in their liver. Because labs are the number one predisposed breed to this disease. And they said, I know, we we, we know you just got a puppy. And I was like, yeah. She's like eight months old. And they were like, would you let us biopsy her for free?
0: Whoa.
1: And I was like, well, she's eight, like eight months old. Like, that's really young to do a biopsy. So I was really like on the fence about it. Retrospect, so glad I did it. They biopsied her. And then the biopsy came back and they called me like a week later and they said, oh my god, you need to switch your dog onto a therapeutic diet.
0: Really? And I was
1: like, why? What's going on? And they were like, her liver enzymes were at 480 parts per million. I was like, what does that mean? (laughs) And they are like, well, like at 500, it's copper storage disease. So she's like almost there.
2: So just Mm. in that eight month span.
1: She accumulated enough copper. She was on a puppy food. Yeah. So
2: which was my next question.
1: I can't tell which food, but it's it was just a generic um puppy food, very very popular puppy food. And she had copper storage disease and I'm like, "What do I do?" And they like, they're, "Put her on a therapeutic diet." So there are therapeutic diets out there for specifically like liver problem dogs. And one of them I looked it up online and you have to get a vet's uh prescription for it. $90 bag. I was like, yeah, I'm a poor college student. This is not going to work. And my dad said, put her on the scoop because we formulated it with extra zinc. And I'm like, no idea what that means. He was like, zinc binds to copper. So it helps pull out the harmful copper from the liver. Hopefully it reverses the process. So I was like, okay. So I put her on the scoop. Two years later, we re-biopsied her. Her levels from the re-biopsy are at 230 parts per million. So
0: is that
2: like, what is it like in the
1: so that's that's pretty that's normal. Annoying. It went down way, way far. Well, I mean, you
2: cut it in half there. Yeah. Um, speaking so, of puppy food, Yeah. I mean, do you have more to add to that? No, no, no. I'm good. We always did puppy food, and I was looking at your guys website. Do you guys have a strict puppy food?
1: So we don't actually have a puppy food. I recommend to people, if they're going to um, feed their puppy our food, I recommend using the performance. Okay. Because it's about the closest thing you can get to a puppy food.
2: Just because they're so high energy and yes. they're burning? Yeah. Is it kind of like a human where the older the dog gets, their metabolism kind of slows down?
1: Yes. Puppies okay. require three times the amount of energy as an adult dog.
2: Wow. That's a fun fact to know. Yeah, Because I was, because I'm just going to order some food and yeah. I was looking at that and I still have Georgia on a puppy plant, like actual puppy food. Yeah. And well, like I was all looking at that, all all yeah. Puppy food. Um, That's good to know because I've always wondered and. I mean, if you actually know what goes into the ingredients, I wasn't sure if that changes between puppy and adult foods.
1: Oh, yeah. But. Yeah. No, I normally tell people to switch the, the dogs over at, like, seven, eight months old okay. to our regular formula, just because um, the high performance, obviously, is hot, and for a puppy, like, that's growing, once they hit that eight-month mark, they're almost done growing, and they don't need as high of an energy level. Um, I recommend feeding the performance only if you have the puppy... Or if you have, like, an upland bird dog, honestly, an average lab would be just fine on on our regular chicken or our regular pollock formula.
2: So how much should you feed your dog a day?
1: Um, There is a feeding guide on the back, but I kind of base it off of, like, what I'm doing with my dog. So, like, right now, Sage gets about a cup and a half in the morning and a cup and a half in the evening.
0: Okay. So we give her...
1: Yeah, but during hunting season, I do bump it up to about two to three... um, Cups in the morning and in the evening.
0: Just because she's working. Just because she's
1: working hard. Yeah. She went down to an outfitter and uh at one point was getting like thirty to fifty retrieves a day.
2: That's a working dog, right? There <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um and kind of speaking about the hunting and eating aspect, a lot of people don't know you're not supposed to feed a dog before a hunt.
1: See, I, I just like um I'm hearing about this, and I would just always wake up super, super early. Honestly, my dog is so bitchy if I don't feed her. Yeah. yeah. She will not work. <laughs> yeah. If we go on a hunt and she did not get her breakfast, she will be, like, pissed.
2: See, I I grew up, and obviously you have a lot more research than I do, but we never feed our dogs before a hunt. I know If it is anything, it's... you feed them a little bit. But if you feed them a full meal, um, I don't know if there's a scientific term, but their stomach flips. Mm-hmm because of the food, and it pretty much automatically kills the dog.
1: Yeah, sometimes it flips if they eat too fast, or they drink too fast. Yeah,
2: so we'd always hold off and feed them after the hunt, obviously we'd feed them a little bit more after the hunt than Mm -hmm. we would on a normal day, but, so is that scientifically proven that? I think my, I mean, dad, what's the guidelines?
1: my dad said to me one time, he was like, what well, What was the rule when you were a kid before you went swimming? Wait 30 minutes before or okay,
2: after. yeah, <laughs> yeah. I so. And I always heard like an hour or two.
1: Yeah. And that's what my dad said. He was like, just don't feed her like literally right before she starts retrieving because obviously if, he, if the dog gets worked up, she's going to throw it up or the stomach's going to flip or whatever, yep. like worst case scenario. And so I just honestly feed her at 5 a.m. And what did you start killing birds at?
2: 7, yeah, yeah, 7.30. So taking a little trek off of dog food but still keeping it with the hunting dogs what has been your favorite hunting experience with either your dog or another dog since the beginning of this journey
1: Um honestly probably um getting to see Sage's progression cuz it's like a you know how it like yeah. you said with your with your dog's first retrieve the other day like live bird retrieve it's like you just want to freaking cry. You're sitting there and you're like, "I did this. This is so cool that like yeah. I worked so hard and it's all coming together." So I think that that was really cool. And then the other thing is like help a couple other people that I help train their dogs or just give them advice more so on like consistency, patterns or like um how to how to get their dog to do a certain um action or required whatever. Um, just seeing them go out and hunt their dogs and seeing their reactions when their dog actually, it all clicks together.
0: Um, I know I've like the past few days recently, I've been working with Olive. I'm only retrieving when I call her name and when it, like when it works, when you shout off a bunch of words and then she doesn't move until you call her name. Oh, it feels so good. It makes you want to jump up and down.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's like you pick them up and they go from pissing your house to the point where you're sending them two hundred yard blinds and stuff, and mm-hmm. just seeing how much they've grown themselves and how much you've grown as a handler. Yeah, it's yeah. nuts. Yeah, it's so root rewarding.
1: Oh yeah, I definitely say that too. It's just the the my learning curve from never training a dog before to getting to where people are offering me money for my dog. I yeah. was like, oh hell yeah, <laughs> I, I figured something <laughs> out.
0: So did you did you like did you read any books or anything when you started? to learn
1: how to, to train or like I write a few things online I don't I, I don't necessarily think I ever stuck to like a book my biggest thing was just going out there and watching um Wally every day because he I would watch him and I'd, I think I bugged him to death because I'd sit there and be like why did you do that why did you correct the dog like that why didn't you do it sooner why didn't you and he'd explain it he's so patient he would be like <laughs> oh I, I did it this way because this dog's a little bit um quicker so you gotta correct earlier because by the time that dog turns around it's going to be here." You have to anticipate the dog getting pushed around by the land. Like when a dog goes on a line over a hill, it might go to the right a little bit more to avoid the hill. And I was like, Oh wow, like all things I would just never think about. But he was very good at explaining and being patient with me.
2: That's sweet. I've seen him hunt with his dogs and it's one of the most exceptional things I've ever encountered in life and hunting. It's just it's fascinating.
1: And he reads a dog very well. Oh, he, yeah. He does a great job of, like, I'll, I'll watch my dog do something. And I'm like, why the hell did she do that? And he'll be like, oh, because of this reason. And, like, just give me exactly what it was. And I'm like, like, I remember one time I came over, like I said, with the hill. Like, my dog had problems going over hills with mm-hmm. her lines. And I never thought it was the hill. I was always just like, what is the deal? She won't take this line. She won't take this line. he's like, she's letting the landscape push her around. I was like, what does that mean? He's like, there's a hill there. So she's trying to avoid the hill. And I was like, that's why she's doing that? And he's <laughs> like, yeah. And I was like, oh, well, that makes perfect sense. So just explaining it into a more basic level of thinking like the dog would think. Very
0: interesting.
1: Or like even with like the bumper thing. Like I, I realized we were doing it one time and the dogs kept picking up the white bumpers first. I'm like, why aren't they picking up any of the orange bumpers? He's like, dogs are colorblind. They can't see yes, orange. orange yeah. I was like, well, I didn't know that. And <laughs> I was like, cool. <laughs>
2: I think that's one of the other cool things is I work with orange and white bumpers, mm-hmm. but you throw out an orange bumper and they might have the mark somewhat perfect, but once they get close and they get a whiff of it and they start using their nose, it's not filtering on a 90 degree angle and they don't even know it's there because they can't see it. Mm-hmm. It's just all off nose. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, so, not dog related, let's hear your overall favorite hunting story of all time
1: oh god um probably one of the first times that I went duck hunting um it was on this little pond nobody had permission to hunt it but um me and one other person and we showed up there and I kid you not I will never have another hunt like this again and I, I think to myself all the time like maybe I just think about it this way because it was my first hunt and no it was insane we show up there and it's Probably a pond, ooh, like, four times the size of this room. Like, not very big at all. Oh, small. That was a small pond. And I remember getting out there, and we had about 80, like, ducks fly off the pond first thing. And we were like, oh, whatever, we're just gonna... So I remember, I think we brought, like, three decoys, because we had no idea what we were doing. <laughs> and we checked out three decoys, and we built this, like, stick fork to hunt under, and I think I was so new to it. Like, I didn't even have, like, I don't know. I had a youth, a youth running to the 870. <laughs> Like I was so new into it. I had no idea what I was doing. And I didn't know how to lead a bird. I didn't know how to whatever shoot. Or, and so I remember that whole morning, we sat for probably three hours, and we had consistent birds coming in. There was not, like, a second where a bird was not flying in. And we only shot two. <laughs> and I was like, I am such a bad shot at this. and. I mean, they're landing. It's so stupid how close they were landing. Well, that's probably why we weren't shooting any, because the pattern (laughs) couldn't even get, I mean, from here to, like, that wall. They were landing. In your face. Yeah. And we only shot two. And I remember after we shot the two, we were like, what did we even shoot? A, you should probably know what you're shooting at (laughs) before you shoot. Anyway, it ended up being a black duck.
2: Oh,
0: no way.
1: Yeah, and so we, we brought it back, and I was like, Everyone else had, like, beautiful mallards and, like, wood ducks and everything. I'm like, we shot this stupid black one. And everyone was like, no way, a black duck. And I was like, oh, wait, you guys think this is cool? And they're like, oh, for sure, black ducks are rare.
2: That just goes to show you, though, that hunting, waterfowl hunting, no matter whether it's fishing or hunting, harvest is so important. But at the same time, it's, there's such a bigger picture than just shooting something. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's those memories you make in that time that you're out there. And I talked about this earlier in the week with my buddy. I mean, the memories that I have of hunting, half of I mean, yeah, three-quarters of them don't involve actually shooting something. And I guess
0: you could be the best person to ask for this question. Like, you understand now that it's not just about killing shit. Yeah. Like, before you thought, oh, like, oh how could you just kill animals? It's oh, it's yeah. It's way, it, the picture is so much bigger than that.
1: Oh yeah, it's the camaraderie of it all and it's just being out, honestly, being out in God's creation and yeah. just seeing, I mean, that's that's probably my favorite part about hunting, is when you when you sit there and it's dark and you're in the blind waiting for it to be be light out, and you can just hear everything waking up around you, as dumb as it sounds. Yeah,
0: no, my, that's what morning hunts it's... are, morning hunts or when you go out to fish in the morning, it's mornings are my favorite just because you get to watch everything come to life.
1: Yeah.
0: Like whether it be like the chipmunks, the birds, the
2: whatever. The sun rises. Sunrise and, is
1: beautiful. Yeah.
2: And you see animals in its natural habitat. Like mm-hmm. we were hunting this year. We weren't deer hunting. We were sitting in A-frames hunting this little it's an old peat moss farm. mm mm-hmm. And I turned over my left shoulder, I was on the left side of the A-frame, and sure as shit, there's this doe running right down the path. Oh wow. And I was like, oh, nice. And then all of a sudden there's a box her. It. it was the beginning, it was pre-rut. I was like, wow, this is fucking sweet. Right. And it's not like you're out there hunting for the deer. You're just watching them happen. And they get five yards from us. Like, I could have spit on them. Oh, wow. And that doe turns, looks at us. My dog, my older dog, Dixie, has got her head peeked out of the hay frame, just watching (laughs) it. And she turns. And she runs off. That buck's just looking around like, what the hell? Where are you going? Right. I just... Trying to get laid. And he's like, right? I don't care what's going on. He yeah. looks at us in the A-frame. It's like, oh, whatever. Turns and walks away. Yeah. It's like, you've never awesome. experienced that if you never it. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And it gives you that adrenaline rush, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, a, that's the best part about it. I took my friend uh, Maddie out for her first turkey last year. And I remember we got it all on film. We'll have to show it to you guys afterwards. But she, uh, I was, like, sitting right next to her telling her exactly what to do. I'm like, okay, pick up your gun. You're going to line up the bead. And we're, we're talking through the whole thing. And I'm like, the turkey's walking around the decoy. I was like, okay, shoot. And she, she like, doesn't shoot. I'm like, shoot. <laughs> Third one, I'm like, Maddie, you gotta shoot. The bird's gonna run away. And so she shot. And I turn over to her. Instant tears. And she's like, <laughs> I couldn't see because my glasses were fogging up. And she was like just crying and i was like are you sad and she's like no i'm so happy and i was like oh my god and we just like hugged each other and she was she was like there was nothing that i'll ever do in my life that was like that exciting she's like that was unreal
0: that's one of my favorite parts about it is like when you get to have new people join your your favorite thing to do oh yeah yeah. watching
2: that first time is better than any other thing oh 100 percent
1: she freaking rolled that turkey, man. <laughs> she, uh, I was like, dang. And I, I asked her before this, I'm like, have you ever like shot a gun like this? And she's like, yeah, I think so. I'm like, what oh. do you mean, you think so? <laughs> I'm like, like have, have you or have you not? She's like, oh, I'm sure I know how to do it. And I was like, all right.
2: That's epic. <laughs> was it a 12, 20? It was
1: a, it was a 12. Okay. So I was like, it's going to kick a little bit.
2: My yeah. uncle is, I mean, he's been hunting since he was a young buck, too, and- I remember we got up to his house one time because we always go up there and have a turkey camp and we walked in the door and he said, boys, I got fucking rolled the other day. <laughs> he was like, I was in this weird position and it's the only shot I had. And he still shoots three and a half inch, 12 gauge for turkey, uh-huh. which I mean, you know, not two, but he still does. And he was telling us this and he was like, well, it's the only shot I had. So he was like, I had to take it. So he shoots, he was like, Dude, I did a somersault backwards. That thing <laughs> rolled me.
1: That has definitely happened to me.
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, you mine was some in some funky angles.
1: Mine was in a bog, and I basically shot, and then I went to go step back, fell through the bog. Oh, no. <laughs> Filled my waders and everything. It was a terrible um, day.
2: I, turkey hunting, I feel like I get wet more turkey hunting than I do duck hunting. Just because you have those dew-filled mornings. Yeah. And... I mean, if you gotta put a stalk on, it's not like you're walking. I've right. army crawled multiple times. Oh,
1: you have to. Oh, yeah.
2: And it's a challenge, but it's fun. I'll yeah. never give it up. I'm so excited for turkey season. It's gonna be a blast. We'll have to shoot get you some
1: gobleros.
0: Oh, yeah. I hope so. I still haven't shot a turkey.
1: What? I'm
0: gonna take the old turkey V card for you, man. This year's a year. It better be.
1: Guarantee it.
0: Let's do it that's about all the time i've got for today um any last words
2: molly any last words
1: everyone should care about their dog and research their
0: ingredients
2: (laughs) yes you heard it there take care of your dogs and do a little research so you know so you know what you're feeding your dogs because you owe it to them they'll do anything for you so you should do everything for them
1: yeah and if you guys have any questions, feel free to reach out to our Instagram, Facebook page, call the 1-800 number, go online, and we will answer any questions that you guys have. Yeah. What
2: is the Scoop's dog, uh, Instagram dog food?
1: It is um, the Scoop Dog Food handle, and then obviously our website is safedogfood.com, and I think our Facebook is also the Scoop Dog Food, again.
0: Perfect. And you're doing, you're doing training seminars this summer, correct?
1: Yeah, uh every Friday at my house I'm gonna try to get a group together okay so we can
0: come out there and- we will put your info in the description of this episode that way if somebody wants to hit you up for that this summer then they can most so.
1: definitely
0: it was awesome having you on thanks for coming yes, yeah, thanks, We appreciate guys. the time and thank you guys for listening tuning in like Molly said if you guys have any questions hit them up hit us up and we can get you guys directed to them um, thanks for listening this week. We'll catch you again next week.